0: That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Before we get started with this episode
1: of Bench with Bubba, I want to talk to you about Rotoballer.com. If you guys know me by now, you've listened long enough, you know I have my written content for DFS and other season-long fantasy products over at Rotoballer.com. And if you're still grinding along in the NFL streets, season-long playoffs, DFS for the NFL, don't wait any longer. Go to Rotoballer.com, get the NFL premium pass. Are you ready to dominate your season-long and DFS leagues? Rotoballers NFL Premium Pass includes lineup tools, projections, and DFS cheat sheets for all formats. Get access to exclusive articles, DFS tools, lineup optimizers, and premium Slack chat rooms. I do the weekly DFS cash game values, even the, and then this Saturday even, doing some uh, extra previews for the, the week's DFS slates. Come check all that out and join in on the winning and take 50% off any premium pass. Not just football. If you want basketball, baseball's coming up all that good stuff, 50% off any premium pass. Use my my promo code, Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off. See, it's 60% off a premium pass. It's that simple. So get in, get ready, finish the NFL season in a strong, strong way with rotoballer.com, NFL premium pass. Already at 50% off now. Use promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off when you purchase. Just visit rotoballer.com backslash radio. Sign up today and start rotoballing like a boss. welcome back everybody to another episode of Bench with bubba episode 429 I'm going to continue prepping for the 2022 fantasy baseball season in order to do so I have a special guest joining me for the first time he's an nfbc veteran he has done very very well in the draft champions landscape as well uh, in the nfbc formats you can find him on twitter at steve ymer steve weimer how are we doing man i'm all right how are you good good i appreciate you joining me it's, uh, it's gonna be fun like i've I first heard you on uh, Mr. Rob DiPietro who we're thinking about uh, keeping near and dear to us these days but um, he's a, a good dude and I heard you on his show a couple times now and it got me like okay I gotta get Steve on the show gotta get him on the show so I'm looking forward to having you and um, first things first let's uh let you let everybody know kind of how long have you been playing in the NFBC um, is draft champions your only format your main format to what what do you got going with the wise? ways
0: yeah so I um, I had to look back, and NBC has a nice kind of record of all your teams. Looks like my first one was 2014, then like two in 2015, and I pretty pretty steadily increased, kind of up to about a dozen draft champions leagues in 2018, and been around that number um, since then. A little bit higher than I should, been a little bit higher than a dozen, but about that it seems like what I can handle. Um, that's mostly what I do. I do a few fab leagues every year. I try to control it. Like I, I think I had three last year and that was, I'm trying to get down to two. I can't imagine, like I don't understand how these people do 10 or 12 fab leagues. I spend way too much time on my three, but you know, I'll end up with two or three of those, I'm sure. Um, but mostly the DCs.
1: Yeah, the Fab Leagues, like I always tell myself I'm going to do less. And I don't do nearly as many as some other people do because um, I'm with you. It's like after you go through just two or three teams, you're just like, how do you have time to do the rest? And I know there's some really good players that say they spend like the entire Sunday. But I know in my world, my mm-hmm. wife and my kid would uh, kill me if I did that. I'm pretty sure you're in a similar boat or just just brain power alone would just make people go crazy. So it's tough. Yeah.
0: But, yeah, I do. Um, I mean, I spend, I spend most of Sunday, even just on the two teams. And I guess there is like, you know, increased returns or whatever. Like once you've done it for two, there's, you know, it's not as hard to do three and four, but yeah, I still, I just, I go over it way too much and it would it would get out of control um, if I yeah. if I bump that up.
1: Yeah. Sometimes there's like overanalyzing or just like he said, when you, when you do two, you kind of already know what players you're targeting. But at the same time, each team needs a little bit different love and care type situation. So it's, how do, you, how do you go from there? So the draft champions format, obviously, does not require fab. still requires setting lineups all the time. So what kind of um, – without giving everybody a, a look behind the curtain, you've, you've been runner-up twice in the overall, which is pretty darn amazing. Like really, really good to, to do. It's almost – I'd say it's almost harder to do that than win one of them because that's like two really, really good years. So what's the, the formula for like your weekly <laughs> lineup setting to, to make sure you kind of find the optimal
0: builds? Yeah, I think, something pretty standard, and it's unfortunately getting mentioned more and more, but the Rasball kind of weekly projections is what I've been using for a few years, um, and then I go through, it's, it also takes takes a lot of time, but I go through all the lineups. I make notes on every team of, like, what I need to pay attention to when the actual lineups come out for that Monday or Friday, whatever it is, like the, the close calls, like if I this player started over this one, I'll make a note that if, it, if it's close enough that, you know, if this guy happens to be sitting, then... Um, I'll change tax. Um, so yeah, it's going through them all with the Razzle Clearator once it's like a draft and then making those last minute changes. So just, I mean, if you have the time, then, um, hopefully you can maximize your, your productivity for every one of those, those lineup, uh, periods. Now, in order to set these, these quality
1: lineups with the Raspberry, which everybody's, yeah, you said, starting to talk about more and more. I know Toby is like a, a religious believer in it now. So, um, it, it's it helped him out a ton and, um, you're using it. I know other people do as well. Um, before the season starts, let me back it up a few seconds here. There's so many tools that people can use to research. You know, there's the HQ book. There's the the process. There's steamer projections, the bat, so on and so forth. There's tons and tons of things you can do. What do you do for research? Because I always, I always enjoy kind of hearing how different, very good fantasy players, they all have a little bit different tact. They all, kind of all use the, some of the same stuff, but they also have some different uh, ways to go about their preparation for draft season.
0: Yeah, I I use and try to digest as much as I can. Like I subscribe to way too many sites. I try to check up on their articles, you know, as, as frequently as I can. But mostly it's, it's projections that are driving, I guess, the overall strategies and definitely like the early picks. And then when you get to like later picks in DCs, projections aren't all that helpful. And that's where hopefully I've listened to enough pods or read enough articles on sleepers that um, I can kind of find some gems late. But yeah. Yeah. Just a, a lot of pods, a lot of articles, um, but really, you know, projections to the core.
1: Do you prefer any specific set of projections or you just kind of look at them all and, uh, and work with them? I like, you know ATC kind of is a, as a accumulator of all of them with a little different sauce to it, but there's also, you can kind of separate other projections as well. You said you're a part of different sites. They all have their own projections too. So yeah. what do you prefer?
0: So I try to, I, mean, I don't know if this is supported by evidence. It's the most successful way. And part of it's like, I like the process of looking at how they compare to one another and, and feel like I'm doing something by combining them. So I average as many as I can. It was a okay. it was a happy day last year when Tanner Bell uh, let me know that he adjusted his aggregator from three systems to five. So then you could uh, average five of them in there. And I definitely use all five spots um, in that aggregator once, uh, once five are out.
1: Yeah, Tanner Bell has some of the coolest tools out there. That's for sure. Like if you can figure them out, see, it takes me because I'm uh, not the smartest computer person in the world, so it takes me a little while. A lot of me texting Toby and bugging him about uh, certain cells and stuff. But once you can figure them out, it's it's pretty impressive what you can put together with Tanner's with Tanner stuff. Um, so I, I'm with you there. Projections are great. You, obviously, you know we always say projections are just part of the process. You can they're not perfect. This, that, and the other. So I'm going to kind of jump around here. Actually, we're going to talk about this later, but we're talking projections right now. So um, something you you were tweeting out towards the end of the season is like how certain projection sites were, quote unquote, right on a player. Certain ones are wrong on a player. How do you go about kind of deciding? I know before the season starts, you've got to kind of take it all with a grain of salt. But how do you go about kind of differentiating potential projections that might be right, might be wrong? Or, you know, I've talked about guys with steamer you know, they had Dalton Varsho projected for, say, like 93 games. Well, I think we hope he's playing more than 93 games. So how do you go about projections, kind of making the adjustments, I guess, for it?
0: Yeah, so I'm mostly just project, or sorry, make adjustments to playing time, um, at least in the past. I'm I'm going away from that a little bit this year, but I think that's the the best way to go about it, um, is probably trust the projections on skills. Like, I mean, this is kind of, I think, standard knowledge. Like, if you're not if you're not filled to so you're probably better off um, not making your own projection system and just trusting these systems that are, have been made by smart people and that are fixing them every year for a decade or whatever. Project them on, or trust them on the skills, and, and maybe you can improve them by adjusting the play in time. Um, I'll make a few adjustments, like things that just seem off. Um, but those, actually, I, I went back and looked. I made, I think, 10 changes to hitting skill projections last year. So actually, like, Altuve's stolen bases were playing per plate appearance and stuff. So not just playing time, like underlying skills. And I was right on five of them. So it's like, you know, it's just a a coin flip. Mm -hmm. So even though, you know, I was trying to do a lot of research and thinking about these carefully, it's like, okay, I think I I know better than the projections on this. Um, It was a 50-50 proposition on the hitters and the pitchers. Um, I didn't go through. I made more changes because I think the projections are a little less reliable there, but I'm sure I didn't do much better. Um, On the whole, I would have been just as well off, you know, going with projections on the skills kind of with 100% of players.
1: There's a, there's a really good thing you said there. Um, is hitter projections. I feel like we can kind of look at and we've done enough research. There's a lot of different stats you can use and, and advanced stats and everything. You can kind of get a feel on what might be right or wrong, a little more per se. But the pitcher part, like you said, it's almost like you could pick at almost every pitcher's projection, some way or another, and be like, okay, this. No, this any's pitch is way off. Or you know, strikeouts should be this or whatever. You can, you can really pick apart. I think pitcher projections more than hitting projections. It feels like to me. Yeah, I could be totally wrong. And so I think that's an interesting point you made there, where it's like you said you only kind of adjusted ten hitters, but you did a bunch of pitchers because they all kind of stood out to be different and and um, and and stood out. So how long have you been kind of adjusting projections? You said you've been playing since fourteen, so we're now going on year eight would be this year. So seven years now you've been playing. How long have you been uh, just, you know, doing kind of your twist to the projections? Probably just
0: the last two or three years, I'd say, That's so I got more successful into it. Years? Um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's, if it is, it's, it's despite you know, thinking I'm far in the projections and making adjustments rather than uh, because I did that. Um, I think there's, a, there's just a that's a correlation. I've probably gotten more into the research over the last few years, and that's both why I've done better and also why I thought I was smart enough to adjust the projections. Um, in a productive way but I think you're right about the pitchers and that's um, kind of how that comparison of looking at the ranks versus the projections that's like I wouldn't ever do that for hitters i you know probably the, their ranks, hitters ranks um, made by human people in the projections will be pretty close together and if not I would I would bet money the projections would be better but you know like you said their pitchers change more quickly pitcher projections are less accurate so it's it's more worth your while looking at what actual humans who watch games and are experts on pitching say about about the pitchers
1: yeah that's how i feel like with pitchers because i'm pretty confident in in my ability like i said to to rank hitters like and you could do that with projections and other things pitchers like i've I've admitted it all the time on the show like i'm getting better at it year after year but I don't have like the tools like you have' Nick Pollock who pitched in college, so he knows a lot more just about the mechanics and he can see things and this that and the other. you got Paul Spore who's been doing it for God knows how long. You got all these guys that I know I'm missing Eno Saris and all these other guys that are phenomenal at at pitcher stuff, and i I'm with you, I'll take their word over mine pretty much every time just because like if I pull up Eno's stuff and you know metrics, I'm like, okay, he knows way more than i do let's let's see what this says and go from there um. So I think it's, it's a good way to kind of utilize the whole, the whole cha-cha as they say to um, just to see what we can do there. Uh, you compared, like you said, people's rankings versus projections. And it felt like pitchers wise is almost like 50, 50, maybe more so. Um, So that again, makes it kind of tough to see, are you going to try to maybe do something similar again this year to kind of see how it, it separates out? Maybe people are getting smarter with the projections, vice versa type thing.
0: Yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at it. And once all the systems are out, um, I'll average. I'm I'm going to do the averaging anyway. Like I said, I'm going to aggregate the projections and I do the same thing with rankings. Everyone I can find, I kind of put them in a spreadsheet and and average them out to see uh, where the consensus is. So, um, yeah, at the end of the year, I can take a look and see uh, if it was better. I think last year, I think the rankers did a little better, uh, at least in terms of the magnitude of the successes, like like some of the big hits like Sandy Alcantara and things like that. The projection systems were low on, they're still low on, you know, me obviously had a great year. Um, I expected, like in making that comparison, I expected it to be a yay projections kind of um, tweet, but it turned out um, not the case last year anyway.
1: I, I could see it also being tough for projections right now because we have that shortened season, and then we've had all these like the rabbit balls and all these other things. So I think the eye test is maybe yeah. more important. People hate when I say that because I was always like, I make fun I of caveman projections and stuff because I like watching a game and you can pick up on things that you can't find in a computer. You just can't. And so... I think, especially with the pitchers on all these different things, like last year, especially, who knew how many innings pitch people were going to have? So you had to kind of, you know, go for your gut feel type type situation. So it's interesting. I wonder if that'll kind of, you know, we had a full season last year. Hopefully, we have a full season this year. Maybe we'll start getting back to where the projections maybe line up a little better. But that could be a big a big part of it as well. Um, when you're doing your research, when when do you start? Do you start like right after opening day? Do you take a breather? Do you uh, when do, when do you get really crunching?
0: well I start drafting right after opening day um, but I do that without any research I guess. Um, but yeah just as soon as stuff comes out um, uh, I'll start researching. I do a little bit on my own just looking at skills and stuff like that but I'm not I'm not great at that you know so I, I looked at like the basic stats and, and things like that but for the most part um, I need projections or smarter analysts to start publishing articles and things like that to really get into it and in the meantime I just draft based on last year's projections or steamer
1: 600 or something like that um so so you're doing dc's like right after the season ends do you do you find because that that means you're kind of doing them throughout december January? like you're kind of spreading them out all the way up too do you find it like any difference in success rates because i know it's been a topic of conversation with zach and some other guys that there really isn't but how do you feel because i feel like obviously i do better closer
0: to the season but who knows no i do better earlier on at least the last couple years like i did a a chart of my, I think it was like league points versus when I drafted, and it's basically just like a, a an arrow, like a slant down. Um, and I think it's just because I'm like, like a degenerate, and early on I've done more research and spent more time than other people, and then eventually whatever edge I've gotten from that, um, especially just on free grant like playing time and stuff like that, um, it becomes common knowledge, you know, once your training's around. So I'm actually going to try to finish up DCs pretty soon, um, yeah. because if, if history kind of repeats itself, then these would my. be my worst teams if I if I start doing them in February and March.
1: How, how many teams have you done already?
0: Nine, maybe something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I've somehow dodged you so far, so this is good. This okay. makes me feel better. But um, I've. I, it's impossible to dodge everybody in these drafts, though. There's so many good players yeah. these days. It's gets ridiculous. You see a sign-up sheet, and it's just like, my goodness. But um, that's interesting, I, I, and it makes sense the way you you spell it out there that. As it gets, you know, closer to the season, there's more information. There's more people playing. You get like people that were focused on football and now are focused on baseball, so on and so forth. Like Modica's and um, Vlad's and all these really good players flat out say it's football season until X date, and then I'll start getting into baseball. So that gives you a window to start kind of trying to beat that beat that system. So that makes a lot of sense when you put it that way. Um, so I, I can see that for sure. Do you strictly do the 15s, or do you dabble in the 12s at all? Um, last couple
0: of years, I've only done the 15s. Um, I'll probably stick with that. Um, it's just for like fab reasons. Like on those Sundays, if you have a 12 with fab, like the player pool so different. Like, I, I had trouble switching the, the mindset. Um, so I, I did okay in the OCs. Not, not great, but more it's about just uh, being able to focus on one thing and ha- kind of have one frame of reference for all the lineups and all the fab decisions.
1: Uh, you mentioned something earlier that you can kind of use the projections to help you with like your early on picks, but as you get deeper to the later rounds, you're looking for content for like sleepers or this prospect or different things along those lines. Are you more, are, are you one that likes mm-hmm. to maybe take a little more risk with your later picks or are you willing, do you want like, kind of that safer setting type situation? Cause that's a, everyone's got their own little way
0: of going about that. Um, I never like to take risks. It's, It's harder to avoid them, I guess. Later, right? Like most of the players are risky, but still, even in that that set of of more risky players, I'm generally going to be looking for the more secure things. Like I think right now, my most own player might be like Kevin Kiermaier, like whatever. (laughs) Like you know, he's going to be late. He's going to play, you know, you know, for the two months that he's healthy or whatever. Um, But if he's going around other outfielders that are you know, double A and might not make it at all, you know, as compared to them, he's I guess less risky, you know, to at least contribute something.
1: No, that that makes a lot of sense because I've I'm one that uh, decide tries not to take as much risk. I might take like one or two players where you just kind of go for it type deal. But there's some people you'll see their drafts where they're very very like, okay, I'm going to take this guy. I'm going to gamble here. I'm going to gamble here. It's funny you say that though that you try to avoid pretty much all risk if you can. And honestly, the people that I've heard that are most successful, at least in the draft champions formats, like you talked, Rob DiPietro, he's the same way. Like I try to minimize as much risk as possible. I want uh, to kind of lock in as much "quote unquote" guaranteed playing time as you can because there's never never a guarantee. But like the Kiermeier thing, you know, as long mm-hmm. as he's healthy, he's playing probably at least five of this five games a week at least. Like he's going to yeah. be out there, and that's something that's great in that format to lock in. Um, when you're looking to build your rosters in a draft champions, like you got the so method where you get a couple of pitchers early and they get all the back, then all the pitchers late. Uh, there's, there's, there's ways to go about it. How do you kind of prefer to go with your hitting and your
0: pitching strategies? I've been a, by and large, first of all, I do enough teams. I like to mix it up and try a few different things every draft season, but um, mostly a pitching early guy and definitely, you know, for bigger legs where I'm not trying to diversify. I'm just trying to win then, you know, assuming, the board, uh, you know, enables me to do so. that I'm going to go pitching early. I think that's where, I think there's scarce resources there, like the pitchers who actually are going to like lock in your lock in your ratios and get good K's, or not all that many of them. Um, and it also just fits well for the way that I draft and, and manage. Like I'm going to get the as much as possible the, the playing time hitters later, you know, so I can catch up on those counting stats. Um, I'm going to pay really close attention to my lineups and get as many at bats and plate appearances in innings out of out of the, the weekly lineups as i can um so if i can just get those ratios by some aces early then i can kind of um use up that ratio cushion with streaming and, and getting as many innings later and also make up for the the hitting stats uh later in the draft and also like i said by paying close attention to the lineups
1: yeah and it makes sense because that's one thing like phil talked about a lot when he had success and i've tried to try to ingrain more when I do it is get those like a couple aces early. Cause it does lock in your strikeouts, locks in your ratios. And then you can, there's so many like fourth and fifth starters you can grab late. So, and stream them, as you said, like let's use them this week and not this week and get you those innings, hopefully some strikeouts, maybe sneak in a win, whatever, but it allows you to kind of have that cushion. If you have those aces, you just plug in and roll. So it definitely helps a ton there. It feels like pitching is much deeper than usual this year. Like it could just be pure early speculation, but, you know, last year we had the top, say, 10 or so, and then it dropped off a cliff. This year you still have some elite players, but there's still, like, depth. You can go throughout your draft, and then even in around, like, 20, 20 to 25, there's guys you can, like, reasonably see yourself using quite often. Um, does that affect how you want to draft? Does it change anything, or are you just like, I'm going to stick with what I got, and I'll add these guys later if I have to?
0: No, it's, still, it's definitely changed this year. I don't have it in front of me, but, like, last year I know that of my 14 DCs, eight started pocket aces, I think. So starting pitcher, pitcher, and nine or ten, whatever I've done this year, I can think of two, maybe three. You know, it's just, there's just not as many of those clear like head and shoulders above the rest pitchers. So the odds of actually getting two of those in the first two rounds are pretty low, and it's a little honestly, it's a little uncomfortable. Like I'm more, I'd rather do that, but they're just not there. You know, so it's it's more pitching is. It's, it's deeper, like the, the set of players, pitchers who, you know, are, are top five or top eight round picks and could be aces is, is a little bit bigger, but the, the set of players, pitchers that are like definitely aces, it seems like isn't quite, isn't quite the same. So um, yeah, a little bit more variability and uh, I'm not really sure how to handle it still.
1: It, it is weird. Cause I'm with you. I used to be team pocket aces too. And I know a lot of my drafts, I'm pretty sure I don't have any, it may be one pocket ace type situation because like you said, like I, I feel comfortable grabbing. I've gone like three hitters early, like without going a pitcher. Sometimes just bad, depending on where you, you land in the draft and whatnot, because after like the is or the Coles or whoever you feel is elite there's really tough to pair them up with one type situation. So it's it's a weird format and the KDS has a lot to do with that. So where have you preferred to be? Because um, a lot of myself and others have said, like the front end, it's, it sounds obvious, but it's great because you can get a top bat, bring it back with it. It feels a lot more comfortable to me, obviously being up there where in the past, I didn't mind being in the back. In the back, it feels like you have to kind of force your hand more, I don't know.
0: How are you feeling, kind of feeling things out so far? Yeah. so. By and large, I want to be where I can get Kohler Burns um, because I'd rather have that start. So that was kind of eight seven. Now it's going to move up, I think, um, with more people talking about it and with Phil posting his first board of Kohler Four. Yep. Um, so it seems like you know, there's, there's four hitters that contribute across the board. And then there's the two aces. And any of those six, I think I'm happy with. So, you know, I'd aim for like six, I think, if I were doing a draft today.
1: Yeah.
0: So I go like uh, coming events. You know, you might have to go. I'm not sure. Three for Cole.
1: Yeah. Um, Cole and Burns are gonna they're gonna move up. Everyone talks about like it. You know, this year it's not necessary, but there's there's a lot to be said about that stability. Like you were saying, if you can just lock this guy in, and with the quote unquote depth, the potential other good pitchers, if you can lock him like one of those two in, you could literally skip on pitching for quite a while if you felt comfortable in the in your knowledge of where things are going you could probably go like five or six rounds of hitters if you really felt frisky. Like you really could, depending on – it could be risky, but you could. It's also – there's something to be said. If you get that one ace, you kind of want to pair them up, so you kind of lock in that situation. That's the whole idea of the pocket aces. But um, speaking of pitching, though, the hot topic of conversation is relief pitchers. And it's crazy. It makes sense because in a D.C. you have no fabs, so you got to get them. You got to lock in those saves. And at this point – and for a guy like yourself that drafts early – you're not going to see the free agent moves and whatever that kind of maybe opens up other bags of saves. So how are you attacking that right now? Are you a get guys early guy? Also,
0: uh, reluctantly, I haven't been in the past, but this year, kind of moving with the market, um, and I've been getting at least one of the the secure people early. I mean, there's a, I mean, I think this has also been mentioned, but it creates a big opportunity. If you so much of the value of these closures comes from saves, if you can get the saves later, if you hit on those those late closures um, or closer speculations and use those, you know, fourth and fifth round picks on hitters instead, you've got a big advantage. Um, but again, that's risky. That's a bit of a dice roll. If you're taking these late, you know, 20 round, 30 round uh, relief pitchers and hoping that they get your saves and I don't really like risk. So I'm, I'm willing to pay up for at least one of the secure closers to get to like the middle of the pack and um, standings um, and saves and then you know, catch up on the, the hitting stats later.
1: Yeah, that's where I am, and, and reluctantly is a great word for it because I've never been a guy like that. If anything, I'll get like one, and then I'll wait until almost the end of a draft to get my other guys. Like I'm not even worried about it, but this year I'm trying to get two if I can by like the end of round ten or so, and just being like, okay, well we've locked in maybe like forty to fifty saves, and now we can figure the rest out later type deal. Um, it doesn't feel great because like the the opportunity cost potentially or the players you're passing on compared to you know striking it rich late is tough, but. You could also go and draft like six guys later and hope they get saves and none of them do, and now you just wasted all kinds of picks. So it's a it's an interesting dilemma to to be a part of for sure. Um, when when you're looking at the pitching landscape in your later picks per se, are you more interested in potentially getting those kind of opener long reliever types that could give you great ratios, or are you looking for those guys that can potentially like fall into saves? Like might be you know the seventh inning guy right now, but you could see a, a path for him
0: at some point in time. Yeah. Um, probably looking more for the, the saves. Um, I'm not sure why I have trouble. So I've I noticed in the past that when I would draft like the ratio protecting relievers, I would never actually use them very much. I don't, I don't start them. It turns out partly that it's because there's a lot of volatility and the ones that we project to be good in ratios might not be, you know, in a given year, mm-hmm. but partly just because if you're actually like going with like the rasball weekly rankings, um, a starter is going to be higher value there um just based on the case and the chance of a win so I, I probably need to go against that go back against that a little bit i think there is more value in those those ratio protecting relievers than i've recognized but it doesn't really fit so much with my style so i'd rather generally speaking um take a shot on on some saves or handcuff one of the closers i got early
1: okay yeah no it's 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 been a fun co- topic conversation like started last year when people were concerned about innings potentially would have opened up the door for some of these guys and now this year, like we've already seen, you know, the Luis Garcia's of the world and some others that people are kind of looking at as potential uh, and you have to pay for them too. That's the crazy part. Like they're not going, some of them obviously are going later in drafts, but some of these guys are going right in the middle. So you're you having to make your, your decisions on, on these middle type guys. Some other decisions that have to be made is um, positional scarcity. And people talk about certain positions. Uh, Zach Waxman said quarter infield for him, uh, third base for some, you know, it could, it could even be relief pitching for others is, is a, point of positional scarcity. Where are you seeing it so far in your nine or 10 drafts that really stands out as a position you need
0: to attack early? Um, I don't know if you need to attack early, but like obviously catcher is still the most scarce um, position. And, you know, I just used everything I do is based on replacement value. The replacement value of the 31st um, catcher in a 15 team to catcher leg is terrible, right? So the catchers get a good, a good bump. Um, it makes pretty much all Catchers are good value if you just compare the the value of their pick, right, where they're going by ADP versus the projected value of their stats um, above replacement. Pretty much all the catchers are good values. It's just a matter of where you want to jump in, trying to find the best value or the one that fits best with your roster construction. Um, third base is kind of the opposite. Like, if I look at it, almost all the third basemen are bad values. Like, I think the narrative of third base being weak is kind of pushing everyone up to the point that their stats don't really justify. Um, the the cost of the draft pick, um, so I don't know. It's tough. Like you still you still need to get one, but I'm I'm reluctant to to pay up too much just based on uh, the third base eligibility. Um, and I mean, in a DC, you're going to get three or four of them, hopefully, you know, and just tread water at that position by having someone that plays. And you might might be the advantage to be had there by you know, not paying up around it too early for third baseman and just taking someone who's, you know, pure stats are more valuable at that point.
1: A couple of really good points there. The, the catcher position thing. I like how you phrase that. Cause I don't think people give it enough love, but especially in a DC where you need two catchers to start every week, but you know, you're going to have to replace at least one of them throughout the season, probably. So your roster and three or four catchers by the end of this draft, and you want to be able to put in at least one of those backup catchers. So that's where, if you can kind of jump the field and get that third guy, that's like a Tucker Barnard, who's actually a starter. Compared to a backup, I've seen yeah. that on my rosters. It makes things feel a lot better. It's weird because you know you are pe- taking Tucker Barnhart over other guys that you could, you know, you could foresee maybe having a better stat line. But the replacement value, as you mentioned, is what you really need to be looking at. I think that's a, a very good point. I don't think it's talked about enough because everyone kind of looks at catcher and goes, ah, whatever. It's catcher. I'll make it work. Blah blah blah. Well, you won't if the guy plays one day a week. You, you just won't. That's like a, a big zero for you. So I think that's a, that's a really good point you make there. And then third base, that's a thing I've been kind of uh, talking about off and on in, in some written work and whatnot is yes, J Ram is awesome. He's worth every penny. Do your, do your J Ram thing. But then it starts to get interesting. Like I think it's a deeper position than people want to admit. Also, it's not like sexy deep, but it's, I found myself if I don't get like J Ram early or maybe Machado early, I find myself like, okay, I'll get Eduardo Escobar. I'll go get Josh Donaldson. I'll go get these guys much later in the draft. Like you said, get three or four of them, mix and match it, see where it works. And I found myself liking the rest of my team a little better at that point in time. So I think it's a really good point you make there because people are pushing them up because they're nervous about it. Well, it's like the old saying, if one thing gets pushed up, there's a value somewhere else now. So yeah. um go and find that. That's a that's a very, very good point for sure. When you're building out your rosters, you got fifty players, fifty picks. How do you kind of separate hitters, pitchers, starting pitchers, relievers? How do you how what's your goal going into a draft?
0: Um need at least 22 pitchers, usually 23 or 24. Um, just as a rough guideline, I'd like set aside uh, 15 starters, five relievers, and then, you know, the rest can be whatever. Just seems like it fits with your team or or happens to be a value. Um, yeah, so that's my, my split. I know that's, I think, pretty common. Some people do a little bit more, even on pitching. I've seen someone take 27 this year um, already. Some people go a little less and kind of, hope that it works out, I guess, but uh, right around 23 um, seems to be a good fit for me where I don't, I rarely have a zero on the pitching side, but also have enough depth and hitters to avoid the zeros there.
1: When you're, when you're uh, looking, especially for the later picks, hitters, pitchers, doesn't matter. And you're using your projections and and your, your research you've done. Are you more focused on guys that are going to get you innings pitching at bats, or
0: are you looking at the overall skill sets? Mostly the the playing time, I'd say. Um if you really, you know, if you've done a good job and built up depth in the first 30 rounds or 40, then maybe you, you feel comfortable enough that you know you've got three solid players at every infield position and maybe eight or nine outfielders, then there's there's room to take a shot just on on skill sets. Um, but you know, if a person doesn't play, they're not gonna help your team at all. So that's gonna be like the, the main focus for me, I'd say.
1: You mentioned earlier that when we talked to KDS and even the, the pocket aces and other situations, you try to diversify your your strategy, uh, I guess, and like it makes a lot of sense to me as well. Um, do you see yourself though, when you're diversifying your strategy at some point in time in your draft, you kind of get back to the old ways, and it's all of a sudden you have like your normal team coming out. Like you divert, do you, is your point to diversify early and not get you know pinned down on an early draft pick, and maybe take more of the same later on? picks type situ- if that makes sense at all
0: yeah um and i'd see maybe doing that more this year i don't know if i just have late players i like more or i'm just getting lazy and like you said kind of falling in the same pattern um in the past if you i love like the player shares page and mine would usually max out the last couple of years at exactly 50 um but this year i've got a bunch of players on more than half my team so there's still time for that to, to even out but um it is easy to fall into a pattern and be like oh you know last time i was looking for an outfielder in this range I, I chose this guy so whatever my thought process was then must be good enough now and I'll just, I'll just take him again um but you know if you're talking about around 25 or 30 it doesn't really matter too much uh if you're just getting the same guy
1: yeah no i'm i fall into the same pattern because I like i'm doing something different early but by Middle to end of the draft, is like, okay, well, this outfielder is here. Oh, I have him on every other team. Let's take him again. Or this, you know, starting pitcher that's I think is going to be a you know, get good innings or something later on. I want to put him on my roster. I have a handful of guys that are falling into that trap where it's going to be a great thing or a bad thing. We'll see. But at the same time, kind of what you're mentioning there, these technically aren't your starters to begin with. <laughs> so it's not the end of the world type situation. Um, if If they don't, you know, produce as well. You obviously want them to, but you're streaming them essentially. Um, so there's a lot to be said about that as well. Any other um, kind of thoughts on DC prep that people could uh, take away? That, that uh, strategy that you found to be very successful for you that uh, maybe could be helpful to others. That that stands out to you? Um, no, not too much
0: really. <clears throat> Nothing else uh, comes to mind. I mean, just like paying attention to to playing time both in your draft but also just like you know keeping up on the news and looking at spring training lineups and stuff like that as, as that hopefully happens um say, you know it's, unfortunately it's being said more and more like it seems like every podcast that talks about dc's now emphasizes that like don't take prospects playing time is king um but it's true um so that's that's the main thing to focus on i think
1: so you don't have any Bobby Witt Jr. shares, do you?
0: <laughs> <I'm not.
1: laughs> yeah, I do not. Yeah, I don't either. So it's one of those things I've always said is I'm okay being wrong on a guy. I'll take my chances because I think we could both agree way more often than not. We've been right in this scenario. So it's one of those like he's probably going to be very good whenever he gets to play someday, but it's it's tough. Now, on the flip side, are you willing to buy back in on a guy like Jared Kalinick who's now falling this year?
0: I um. don't uh, I guess I'd be willing to if it if it made sense as a value, yeah. but by the projections, he's still not a good, good. Yeah. <laughs> not a good, ADP. So yeah, not a good So honestly, like he's one where when he's taken, I have to like scan down and down, like to try to mark him off my list. Like it's not even kind of he's not even in my in my consideration uh, when he's going
1: see there's something that um, Steve just said there is he has his list. He doesn't just go off the ADP on the page of the draft board you're looking at. So he's, uh, he's doing his research as you all should be doing. As we talked about, make your own lists. It's the best way to draft. Like, Like the ADP is great. Like if you're on the run or whatever, you can kind of scroll through and look at the positions and do your thing. But I, even when I use that, I scroll on every position for a while to make sure I'm not missing something that in my head fits where it should go because I'm like not near my computer or something. But um it's it's definitely don't just go don't be a slave to ADP as they say. It's a great tool. It's a great tool, but it's not the end all be all. Um, let's have some fun though. We'll we'll kind of use ADP as as a roundabout way here, but we're going to look at some you know values or undervalued players or something at each position that might stand out to you to have some draft champions value to you. So I'll start with you, Steve, at the catcher's position. What's one of the guys that kind of stands out as an undervalued
0: potential catcher for you? Um. For me, and I'm just mostly just gonna look at like the the comparison of the value I have for a player to the to the ADP, you know, and who, yeah. who's the biggest value at ADP. But it's it's Varsha, who you mentioned earlier. Um, I think maybe part of that is like you said that the the main projection steamer has his playing time a little low. Um, if I just give him like 500 plate appearances, yeah. it comes out as the 31st most valuable hitter. Once you take into account the the bump for catcher, and he's going as the 57th, so. That's actually one of the bigger values I think in the total draft, and I guess there's a little bit of risk about the playing time, there. But I don't know. I don't see it. Um, they're, they're terrible. He was good down the down, down the stretch, so he'd have to be really bad I think to to lose significant playing time or get sent back to AAA.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And then some of it can be just bias on my own part, but I did a lot of re- – I did research and wrote an article on him, like, is Varsho worth the cost? Because I was literally – sitting I did a couple drafts and I passed on him, but I'm like, there's really smart people that are talking about Dalton Varsha. So let's go look into it some more. So I dug in on it, and one of the biggest caveats to miss it out is – and it goes back to something we said earlier, and I had Matt Goodwin on a few weeks ago, is you, you can the Steamer projections are great, but let's be real, he's playing more than 93 games or whatever. And so then you look at his Steamer 600 – And I did the math, he would be like second in almost every main statistical category at catcher behind like JTR or Wilson Contreras or something. And he'd lead in um, one other category. So again, Steamer 600, maybe not be his total peak, but it gets the idea of this is who he really is, not this original projection potentially. And like you said, they weren't very good. Um, They have Carson Kelly at catcher. That's true. But the beautiful thing about Varsho is he'll play the outfield, which will save his legs which allowed him to keep running which is one of the biggest perks to using Varsho. there is it's JTR light, basically. Like we're getting steals. We're getting a little bit of power. It's, it's pretty sweet. Could things go wrong? Sure. Like you said, anything can happen. He's a young player, but they have nothing to lose. Then like, let's see what he's got for a year. So I think I'm with you on Varsho, a hundred percent. Like if I had to name um, another catcher that could be potentially in my mind undervalued or um, mispriced so far, and it's not Kyber Ruiz cause he's climbing up the boards. Unfortunately, but just simple, like again, boring guys, but you like your Omar Narvaez is of the world going to pick eighteen or the eighteenth catcher off the board behind guys like Zunino who plays half the games and all he does is hit home runs. You have Gary Sanchez um, and other guys like that, where Narvaez he's going to play almost every day, uh, at least for a catcher. He's gonna hit for a decent average, run into some home runs. Like, he's one of the quote unquote safer catchers on the board, and he's going super late. So I, I kinda yeah. like his ability for not wanting to take too many risks at the
0: position yeah i like that call I, one of the few catchers that won't hurt your average too much and it'll probably be a pretty strict platoon with him and severino which is kind of nice because you know when he's going to play so you know what yeah. you're getting for each for each week or each half week
1: yeah and then it's each half week and then again if we talked earlier if you grab another third starting guy like a barnhart or something late and you know it's like on on the weekend they're getting two lefties well it's probably severino weekend well now you can sit in our vines for the weekend. And it's those little things, like you mentioned, the replacement value. If you went and grabbed the catcher in round forty to be your third catcher, might not play more than Narvaez anyway. So, so it's kind of a lot. It's maximizing that bats, as Steve was saying earlier in the show. All right, uh, first base. Who's the guy that stands out to you?
0: Um, in terms of value, like it's Ryan Mountcastle, which I've never have never been huge on, but um, there's a lot of, I think, I don't know space between his cost and his projection. So even if the projection is a little high, right, it's still, still worth it. And this is not, these projections don't know yet how the revised dimensions, you know, are going to affect it. I'm sure that will bring them down a little bit, but like I said, he's got plenty of of wiggle room to still be a solid value. So he's kind of a nice player to, to get, come in those mid rounds with multi-faceted flexibility. If you've been, you know, going to closers and aces and steals early, it's a, it's a good way to catch up. Yeah, I, I like that quite a bit, and
1: I'm hoping the dimensions don't screw them up too much. I, I really don't know why they did it, because I think it was Alex Fast that pointed out for their pitchers, because they say it's help their pitchers, but um, the Orioles pitchers, I think they did like, all the home runs that were hit in Baltimore to left field. Yeah. I think like 90% of them or more still went out of the ballpark, so it's, <laughs> that night now you're hurting your hitters potentially, so it's an uh, interesting decision for sure. Uh, for me, there's a lot of interesting ways to go about first base, but... If I'm looking deeper at maybe your third first baseman that could potentially become an everyday corner infielder for you or something, and it's mainly because I think his playing time is starting to look better than it's been in the past, is Rowdy Telez. Um, I might be just totally kind of crazy on him, but 33rd first baseman off the board this is the guy that you know in years past people were clamoring over as the next best thing, and there's nothing that's ever doubted his hit tool because I think it's been consistent playing time. Well, now Vogelbach's gone, Eduardo Escobar platoon's gone, and they'll probably find a way to put someone else over there because that's what the Brewers do. But for now, at this point in time, as your third first baseman or something, he's going to hit for a decent average with a a good amount of pops. So I think he's a guy you could take later on and uh, enjoy the the rewards from.
0: Yeah, I think that's another good call. It seemed like yesterday there was the news that, you know, more confirmation that probably the NLDH – it's going to be fine with both sides and that'll happen. And I don't remember the exact filters, but I, when I play around with skills filters, he pops on a lot of those where if you do like low K right, high barrel rate, it's, you know, 10 all-stars and to les um, Yeah. So he always, he's,
1: he's been a stat cast darling, as they say, it's just never fully been put together yet. And I think a lot of it's, he's young with inconsistent playing time. Like that's just how these guys need to get those regular reps. So I'm hoping that you see, like you mentioned, the DH could be tremendous in that regard uh
0: second base who is a standout value for you um but i'll go a, a little late here i don't know if this is if they're great values relative to adp but there's a nice pocket i was looking at like right around pick 300 where it's like magical fletcher Arias, adam frazier all going together and you know all should help in batting average a couple of them will help in steals a couple of them have multi-position eligibility those are all valuable things kind of late in the draft so i think it's like a, just a spot to target um, one, to add a little depth. If I, like, of the, whatever, four, I think I'd take magical, you know, most upside, maybe he could still start running. I don't see why, and I haven't read anything on this, but, like, I think Rafael Ortega is projected to be the leadoff hitter, and I don't see why that wouldn't be magical if he's having, like, a decent start or even a decent spring training. Um, that obviously would add to his value, too.
1: And I think you're 100% right are Like, all projections have Ortega. I think a lot of that's because that's where he finished last year, and they haven't really got to use Madrigal because they traded for him and got hurt and everything. But if you know we, what we saw with Madrigal is pretty much a big OBP guy, on base guy, it makes sense to lead him off hundred percent. So that's that's an interesting angle there because most are, are worried that they do what the White Sox did and hit him ninth, which would really be a, a bummer. But he should lead off for the Cubs. So I like the little pocket you mentioned. Like Luis Arias is never a fun player, but three position eligibility, always on base, couple stolen bases here and there. But these are the kind of guys like you get late, you plug them in when you have injuries, or it's a good hitting like weekend or something, and definitely yeah. definitely good spots for you. There's one guy I am passing on in most drafts, and I hate myself for doing it. It's just because I don't know what team he's going to play on. But if you're feeling like taking a chance on a guy like Josh Harrison at 374, that could reap massive rewards depending on where he... it's a, it's one of those risks on where he signs. He's going to sign somewhere. It just like does he get an A's gig where he plays every day, or is it back to platoon, yeah. Josh Harrison? But Three potential three positions of eligibility. We know what he can do with pretty regular playing time. And if he was on a team right now, like the A's where he knew he'd play, he'd be going like 100 picks higher, probably. So I think that's a guy in the early draft seasons you could potentially, if you're willing to take a risk, take a chance. Yeah,
0: yeah that's a weakness of mine. I'm, I'm always overly cautious regarding the players who haven't signed yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm part of the reason that they are such a value early in in draft season. Um, but I just like that certainty. So like, I, I do it too much. I avoid them too much, but
1: um, I'm with you. I've passed on him in every draft and I love Josh Harrison. I had him in so many families last year. Once he became an A, like I passed on him in every draft and I, I myself every time I pass on him. Cause I'm like, oh, he's right there with everything you need to fill positions up. Like he's right there, but it's tough to say. Uh, who do you like at shortstop? Oh
0: man. So uh, in terms of best, value as to give a plug to your boy jazz i think you're you're a big jazz supporter right Yeah, um, it's very controversial these days <laughs> yeah but when i just look at you know uh projected value versus adp um he's right up there at the top of the position um he's also got the nice benefit of like he's almost the last stop for steals um in yeah. terms of players projected to get 20 steals after him in adp it's only edmund straw and vidal brujan but i think his playing time's probably you know too high right now so um i don't know there's obviously risk but i think there's a lot of possible reward there too i think he's going to keep running i heard james anderson say that just like based on like kind of a a profile of his style and his mentality that he like he's going to keep running um and he wants to rack up those deals so i i I like the jazz call
1: yeah i think um i haven't looked at my player shares yet because i'm trying not to in my head go okay i have too much of one guy i'm going to keep drafting like what i think's working I just know for a fact I have jazz probably on like 90% of my teams because it's kind of what you said is he's that last spot like I could potentially get a 2020 guy at pick 70 and this and you know at one point in time you're getting him around pick 90 like he's he's climbing up every week and 90 was like right when draft season started so it didn't last long but um he's second base shortstop which is always nice have you know it's both middle infield but still nice you can um just that steals upside because you can pig him, pin him in with like say you get a J Ram and one of the big outfielders. You've barring a, a weird injury, you've locked up like uh, your stolen bases in a big, big way. Uh, you mentioned the James Anderson thing. I, I loved what he said. Um, it's kind of my philosophy with it is sure his batting average might not be great, but 240 in this landscape is still not the end of the world compared to what it used to be. It's not great, but it's not the end of the world. But they're gonna play him. They're not gonna not play him. And they're not gonna hit him towards the top like three spots in the batting order. They're just not. They have no reason not to. If they don't, Don Madeline should be fired. Like, there's no reason why Jazz Chisholm yeah. should not be towards. Like, you got to see what this kid's got. You traded Zach Gallon for him. Like, this is a big deal. So, um, I, I'm with you. I think the power is legit. The speed's legit. Now, if the if he can hit 260, people are going to be um, regretting their takes they took on Jazz Chisholm. That's all I gotta yeah, say. No, but we, I'm, not, I'm biased.
0: Yeah, we should. We'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that Phil so yesterday was was casting doubt on jazz um so um, smart put, people uh, smart put pro- yeah put the projections up against you know yeah. uh, what I've said what you've said um and weigh that against what Phil said I guess but uh, yeah, he's, yeah. he's not yeah. right about everything yeah
1: let's hope let's hope I guess the one thing is you're wrong on but yeah. um yeah I'm ready to eat crow I've always fessed up when I mess up on something I have no problem with that but there's certain things I'll just I'll take the batting average hit and build my batting average elsewhere. But give me those twenty twenties, like that's that's pretty sweet to me. Um, a later shortstop, another one that's you know never like super super fun, but it, it works and people are gonna just razz me for it. But if you just want playing time and you're looking for your third or fourth shortstop, I have so many shares of Elvis Andrews, It's disgusting. Like he's going post five hundred, um, but he's going to start every day pretty much for the Oakland A's and you never know what this bad as that team is. He might get back towards the top of the order than the bottom of the order. So it's, it's not like phenomenal stats and all, but it's everyday at bats. Like we've been talking about and he's going post pick 500. I have a lot of shares of Elvis Sanders.
0: Yeah. I like that too. I, I got him in my first couple. I don't know if I have recently for whatever reason, but I think he, he ran a fair amount last year too, if I remember yeah. correctly. So yeah, if you can get, you know, playing time, maybe the top of the order and just a few steals out of, you know, your Whatever round that is, pick 35th round or something like that. Um, that's a great value, yeah. Elvis Andrews and then
1: Alcides Escobar, another boring one, but he gets like second for the Nats. Like these two guys are going to be out there every day, so nothing, nothing great, but it works. Um, third base, we kind of talked about it earlier, but who do you have circled
0: here? Yeah, so third base, like there aren't many values, at least by you know, the projections I have relative to ADP. I was looking at the only ones who, uh, only third basemen who are a positive value compared to their ADP are Mondesi, who's, you know, it's driven by the stolen bases, huge questions. Austin Riley, it's fine, but, like, I don't really want to draft that profile right there. And then Ryan McMahon, Matt Chapman, and Eugenio Suarez. So, like, that's it from the whole position. They're a positive value, and honestly, I don't really want to take any of them. Yeah. Um, so it's not based on valuation, but just based on roster construction. My favorite is good old Heimer Candelario. Yeah. Um, he's just, like – like you said, third base is deep with potential, but they pretty much all have question marks. Whether it's like injury coming back from an injury, or like someone like Donaldson who's got the tendency to injury, mm-hmm. um, and Heimer's just kind of like the nice little island of security. and You know what you're going to get in the, in the middle of that of that position. So ideally, I think you'd be like your second one, like back up someone mm-hmm. like Gabriel Brian Hayes or Rendon coming back from injury or something like that. But I can live with him as my as my starting third baseman also.
1: Yeah, there's like you said, you could almost make it a question mark for – you guys go down the ADP list, and there's so many question marks here. And most of these guys usually are like my second options, as you mentioned. But um, I like that pocket, Like Ryan McMahon, I'm a big proponent of him if you're waiting on third baseman, especially because he also has that middle infield at second base eligibility, which is nice. But just that pocket you mentioned, like Eduardo Escobar is boring, but he's good for 20-plus homers. Candelario, Donaldson, Abraham Toro, we, maybe we get another step in him, but another question mark. Um, it's just that little window there that you can get your second, third baseman if you want. And that's the one thing I'll say is it's deeper than you think, but I'd recommend getting your second, third baseman before you wait too much longer because it starts to really kind of get questiony and murky. I've I've compared third base to it's the land of like really murky water. Can you sift through the murky water at third base? Um, who you like it in the outfield?
0: Um, Very deep. To the, <laughs> two of the best values by my sheet are actually like, Gallo and Stanton. Um, and I've taken Stanton a few times. I guess, you know, it, he's a value at not a ridiculous playing. I think I have him like 587 play appearances, you know, and that's enough to make him really good value at cost. But I guess there's a chance that he gets a lot less, and that's why he's he's going later. But I'll take that chance. Um, Gallo, you know, obviously he's a roster construction issue. But if you, if you get Gallo and compare him with one of those, you know, second baseman types we talked about earlier – um, Madrigal or Arias or something, then, you know, between the two, you've got a decent player. I looked at like the projections for Gallo and Madrigal. If you combine them, it averages out to 23 homers, seven steals, 256. And that's basically like Austin Meadows with better average, um, but both going well later. So if you're willing to, you know, plan around it, I think it makes sense. I've got to be honest. I haven't taken Gallo yet myself, but um, I think he is a value um, if, you, if you do it right.
1: Yeah, I, I don't mind that at all. Gallo's a guy I've been afraid to take. I see the appeal. It's, It goes back to the old adage, lineup construction. Like, do you build your team around it right? Because we know how good Gallo can be. Last year was just a bad, bad year. Like, there's no denying that. But if he even puts like a hot month or two together and you can just plug him in for that month or two and then put someone else in, your team's going to fly above other people because when he's on, it's it's scary on. Um, there's a lot of interesting later options you can kind of wade through and make your arguments for. But one I think is a fun one if you're looking for playing time potentially on a really good hitting environment, Connor Joe's leading off when he, for the, uh, the Rockies more often than not, you could get Ryan Tapia. There's, there's, there's fight back on that, but for the last like month or two of the season, Connor Joe was the guy leading off and he's not flashy by any means, but if you tell me you can get the leadoff hitter in the Rockies uh, around pick three forty ish, I'm intrigued at least. I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes again. It's a little risky. If, if you want to pair him with Ryan Tapia a couple rounds earlier, that could be one way to go about it. Cause now you can lock in the Rockies leadoff hitter gives you options, but, um, and, and there's a lot of times they'll both play in the same time. So there's options there too, but I think those are kind of later options. Cause when you get kind of late in the outfield, it's okay. You got Grichik; he's fun, but how much does he play? Manny Margot could get you a lot of steals. Still going to platoon probably like, there's a lot of, a lot of questions when you get down here, like Lorenzo Cain's a guy I'd really like to figure out if he's going to play much this year. Cause he could be a crazy value, but that's another <laughs> question in itself. So, it's another place, kind of like third base, where it gets – there's players, but it gets kind of interesting the farther down you yeah, go. Yeah, Joe is who
0: I noted down for but that's the late option also. Um was, They really seem to like him more than Tapia. The, the beat reporters think that Tapia is going to get traded, Um, but even if he doesn't, like down the stretch, they're starting Joe over him, right? So, yeah, I think you're right. There could be huge value there, and there is. it's very easy to to get a backup, whether – just get some piece of that. So if Joe's not playing, maybe it's Tapia, maybe it's Hilliard, maybe it's Hampson, but they're all super cheap.
1: And they're all, yeah, Hilliard right back, like you said, one of those guys will be probably leading off more often than not throughout the season. So you can easily mix and match those for sure. Um, We'll just combine this last one if you want, starting pitchers, pitcher. Like what's a pitcher that stands out to you as a potential value situation?
0: So the two best um, values are Charlie Morton who's undervalued every year. Yeah. Um, and also Sean Manaya who's not someone I'd paid a whole lot of attention to until like seeing this. And then sometimes that happens where it's like, why is he you know, such a value? And then I actually look back at what he did last year and it was better than I thought. So those are two, I like getting kind of in that, I guess that'd be what, eight to 10 or so um, range. Like looking later, I want to give a plug for a combo um, of Cardinals, like Miles Mikolas, Dakota Hudson. I love like getting both of those late in drafts it's already been announced to be in a rotation weak division good pitchers part good defense um pretty much everything that you want it's like a late cheap streamer that like obviously you won't use them every week but there'll be plenty of times when you use one or both of them Uh, yeah and a a couple couple things oh sorry continue
1: I was gonna say Morton I'm I'm buying back in with you on that like I I on our last show with Toby I, I flat out said it's one of my biases on him that I've been wrong on, but you just look at what he does time and time again. And like you said, he's undervalued yet again. It's a consistent theme with him. But uh, sorry, where were you going with the next one?
0: Oh, no, uh, no that was it. Um, I was okay. just going to say on, on Hudson and Mikolas, that like also they, they complement each other well, you know, in a sense. And you don't need to worry about that too much that late in the draft. But like Hudson should have good ERA, bad whip. Relatively speaking, Mikolas is kind of the opposite. So it's more, it's just like an intellectual thing by like viewing. Picks and pairs and, and seeing when they can kind of complement um, one another. You mentioned the
1: teammates there. I know some guys do it and some guys don't. Do you try to kind of, you know, um, Gialdi had a question on our last show about the Royals pitching staff? I know some guys like pick three guys for certain staffs just to lock it in. Are you one guy that does that or are you just say, screw it, I'm not focused on that scenario?
0: Um, I don't go too far out of my way, but I, I pay attention to it and I, I do like it, especially if it's a situation like the Royals where it's, I think there should be like a competition, right? So if you think that there's potential um, from three or four different starters and whoever wins that competition is probably because they're realizing some of their potential, then that's, you know, a place to have a few pieces um, of the puzzle there.
1: Okay. Yeah. I like that quite a bit. Um, one of my late guys, and there's a, there's a, a lot of them because I think pitchers you can spread out and have some fun, but he's boring but he's pretty darn consistent, and he's going to pitch every fifth day, barring an injury. And trust me, there's a going to be a, a handful of starts where you just wish he never drafted him at all. But he's you're, if you're talking innings, you're talking strikeouts. Nick Pavetta is a guy I kind of uh, kind of keep falling to. Like he's the the, the ratios can be nasty at times, but I think you a ton of strikeouts. He's going to be on the Red Sox, who so we think he'll still have a pretty good offense to maybe sneak him some wins. There's going to be ugly weeks. like You're going to see him face the Yankees and the Jays, and you're just like, nope, not doing it. But um, he's actually pitched well against them last year, so you would have regretted that. He's just, he's, a, he's a tough one, but he's going to get you 30-plus starts barring an injury, which at that point in the draft, not as easy to find as you'd think. So guys stand by. All right, let's talk some listener questions as we have some of our uh, our fun ones here to uh, to look at. And we'll kick things off with Mr. Anthony Gialdi here. He says, um, uh, "We've all heard of zero running backs in football. What about doing a zero pitcher strategy and a DC, like no pitcher at all, until around ten to twelve or so? Draft your closers first, and then play catch-up with starting pitching." Well,
0: seems hard to pull off. It's, it's possible. Like there always are. Like we were talking about before. Like the projections on pitchers aren't as accurate, and every year these these big. Kind of late finds like robbie ray and carlos rodan if you get hit on those then then you're golden but i don't trust my ability to to pick those out um also i don't know if you can get closers if you're waiting to 10 or 12 this Not year, this year. Yeah. Um, so like a, a version of that where you took a couple closers early and then dove in on starting pitching in like round 10 and that could work, you know, if if you if you're right about your targets, um, you get get plenty of volume, like you're saying. You'll get the the, the pitchers uh, who are going to pitch. You'll get your strikeouts. You get your wins. It's just a matter of hitting on a few that to, that'll actually provide some ratio help. Um, so if you feel good about your ability to do that, then it definitely could pay off.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. It's a fun question because zero running backs is for fantasy football people. It's always the fun conversation now. But with the the closing landscape, I went the if say you go and get like. Go get Hendricks and like a glacier's right out the gate. Then do all the batters you want up until around 10 or 12 if you feel like it. I could see it being feasible, but like you said, you're going to have to hit on a couple of those ratio guys because that's the biggest reason, like you mentioned, taking pocket aces early is you lock in those ratios. And that's going to be harder to find the deeper you go. Um, baseball pods, everybody. Chris says, why is Austin Riley going 50 picks above Alex Bregman? <laughs>
0: I mean, it' guess just recency bias. Um I, I haven't paid too much attention to either because I'm not that interested. Um but I'm gonna look real quick. See, I could definitely have them above. Yeah, I mean, Riley's not a bad value at, at cost based on the projections. Bregman, I just I've never trusted and now coming off the injury. Um I don't really want to do that. Um so. I definitely think Riley should go earlier. Would you say five rounds earlier?
1: He said fifty picks, so about forty-five rounds oh, earlier. Well,
0: oh, oh, honestly, I would take Riley. I'd, I'd pay fifty more picks for Riley than Bregman, but I, I've had an anti-Bregman bias that's just as strong as anyone's kind of recency bias yeah. um, in favor of Riley. Probably.
1: I think I think the recency bias is the biggest thing. He's been kind of struggling, Then you see all the reports about he's such a pull-heavy guy. If he's not pulling guys, he's not hitting home runs in that ballpark, and then you get the wrist injury on top of it. Can he prove us wrong? Sure, but it's like I said, I'm willing to be wrong on guys as long as I can, you know, stick to my system that works. One guy is not going to lose you, your your league, so yeah. I think a lot of people are like in the same boat. You are. Plus, I think it's people either go early and get those big third basemen like we talked about, they're pushing them up, or they wait and then just go get some guys. So Bregman's kind of in that middle floating ground of uncertainty. So, yeah. So I'd say this:
0: Why is Bregman going earlier than Justin Turner? Whatever you know, like if, once you're getting like. Down to the he doesn't really stand out in anything except maybe counting stats if he's healthy in the lineups. Good, but the the runs in RBI are the things I'm least worried about. So I'm going to get those one way or another, you know. So,
1: and that's bias on Turner because everyone talks about how he's hurt and only plays 120 to 30 games and all that stuff. But that's it's another trait that many of us need to, to get over is. Replacement value, especially in a DC, you can still get the, the 120 to 30 out of Turner, which are going to be really solid. Like you can almost write down what he's going to do for you right now. Games he's done it so often, and then you throw one of your backups and, like, you know the guys he talked about drafting. The areas is or these other guys later on, just plug them in for 30 games, and you're sitting pretty. So definitely ways to go about it. Uh, Ryan Roof from RotoWire asks, with two runner-up finishes in the DC overall, what are you doing different this year to win? Are you trying anything brand new? that you've never done before more specifically, are you trying any new approaches to your draft or were you focusing on something new from in season management? So are you doing something different with your draft? Or are you going to do something different in season? Are you trying to adjust is what he's asking.
0: Yeah. I'm, a couple of things have been different, um, but not to try to win the overall. I don't think about the overall. I think we've, you know, with over 4,000 teams kind of, you just, I just try to build a balanced team that'll win the league. And then if luck, you know, is in my favor. Then maybe it'll be the mix for an overall. But odds are that'll never happen again. Um, but just in terms of trying to build a balanced team, um, one thing I do is like I've noticed I've done enough legs, enough DCs over the years that I have certain tendencies. Like I tend to do really well in runs, RBIs, wins, and strikeouts, and be like middle of the pack in pitching ratios and batting averages and things like that. Um, so trying to even that out, and rather than just arbitrarily or like mentally like push down players who get most of their value from counting stats and push up the good batting average, and good ratios. I'm just adjusting the values for it. So, um, if a player is projected to contribute to like one point in standing gains points in runs, I count that a little less than one point. Like I devalue that. And if a player is projected to contribute one point in batting average, I bump that up a little bit. So it counts for a little bit more than a point. So just that my actual values reflect, uh, that to me it's more valuable to get someone who's going to give batting average than someone who's going to give runs and rbis um, so that's something i've done before is like i tried it like you you know i know i have this tendency to just pile up playing time so i don't really need to, to focus on runs and rbis but just kind of quantifying it and putting it right into the values rather than doing it somewhat arbitrarily in a draft so i don't know if that makes sense but that's the biggest thing i've changed so far
1: no it makes a lot of sense you're, you're changing your approach to your your system, which. And it makes sense because if you're just accumulating playing time late, well, you can get runs and those counting stats later more often than not, where your average is your ratios. Like hitters' ratios, too, just count, count as much. So uh, you get those guys early and kind of lock them in and give them a boost. It makes a lot of sense. I don't mind that at all. Uh, Zach Waxman has our final question for us here. Tell Steve you should listen to podcasts he's been on because they're great. But how does he deal with the psychological – psychological aspect of doing lots of drafts and continuously passing on certain players he believes are undervalued in a vacuum because they don't fit optimal DC builds?
0: That's a deep question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough. I guess just do another draft and maybe, <laughs> and, and, and maybe get that player, but there are players like Morton. I don't know if I drafted Morton, but I know he's a value. It just hasn't like worked out. And I hate every time when I see someone get a value, more, especially if it's like a good player that I know is going to be tough to, to beat in that league, you know, so there is that tendency of, of the, the missed opportunity and, and letting values fall to others, but you can't, at least I can't really worry about that i just try to focus on my team and getting to where i need to get in terms of categories and if it doesn't work out then hopefully you know something else will we'll make up for it hopefully that whatever reason i passed on that person and let them fall to someone else and get an even bigger value you know was a good reason because i really did need the steals or the saves or whatever I, I went for instead so i don't know uh try not to think about it um and until the end of the year when you see that it was worth it and you won the league
1: yeah no i think there's a couple things there is. Your systems worked for a long time, so like the old "if it ain't broke, don't fix it" type deal. Focus on your team first, because if your team's not built right, it doesn't matter who else gets values elsewhere. To, like you're you're screwed to begin with. But um, if you're building balanced, you got to stick to your 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 system basically. If you're you can't take every piece of value because it could leave other pieces unbalanced type situation. So I, I get where you're coming from, because like I said, I don't have a lot of Morton. I need to maybe change that. Austin Riley's a guy you just talked about. He rates out well. Mariah McMahon. You mentioned some third baseman that. You're not interested in like any of them, pretty much. But they all rate out as values, so you're that because they just don't fit the the build, which makes sense. I'd say your build's been working, so I wouldn't worry too much about that. But uh, um, Zach also does, you know, thousands of drafts, so he can do different builds. It gives him a luxury to do so. But um, it's good stuff. I appreciate it, Steve. This has been fun, fun chatting it up with you today.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. I
1: appreciate it. So, you, how many more drafts do you think you're going to do? Four or five? I mean, let's
0: see uh what i so my goal is to do like two more dcs i think i have like left in my pack that i got um and one best ball i'm trying those for the first time this year i don't know how that's going to go the best balls on fbc and then that'll be it but like that's probably not going to happen what'll happen is i'll use those up and then there'll be a leg like with a bunch of really good people filling and i just want to see who they're taking and i'll I'll jump in so i'll probably end up doing like three or four more Um,
1: That's always my problem. It's like I'm not going to do any, and then someone sends me an invite and goes, "Hey, these three guys are going to with me. Let's go do it." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> let's go draft. Reason,
0: But maybe that's why. Actually, now I think about it. Like the teams that I draft late tend to do worse, and it might be because the if I've already used up, here's my nine pack. And then yeah. I joined one late in March. Like one I did last year was like, oh it's it's Tovey and Ryan Bloomfield and Ray Murphy and all these players. I wanna I want draft with them. Well that's probably why I lost. Not because it was in March, but like the I'm talent going out of my way to find really tough competition. And those was like, yes. So maybe I just won't do that.
1: I've already decided because like I I won an an OC ticket on a qualifier last year and stuff and I'm like I'm not announcing who when I'm drafting that team like I'm going to go sneak in I'm going to sign up I hope I know nobody's name in that draft room like that's yeah. my goal because I want to go do well in this event so um I, I it, it is fun drafting with your friends I agree it's also fun winning and hopefully winning money so <laughs> there's there's a difference involved there the other thing you mentioned that I like a lot and Zach opened my eyes to it on the show I did with him last week. Is you focus on winning your league, and if the overall comes, that's great. I think it's really fun. Um, obviously, to win the overall, you have to be balanced and be productive in every category. But if something happens in your draft and it goes uh, awry, you can still do things to win your league. And Zach pointed out some interesting, like ways to you know the standing points gains, how they changed and everything. Based yeah. say you say you do punt saves. He he. That was a question made on the show. You can still win your league easier than you think if you kind of focused adjustments to it. So it's interesting. It's it's a whole different way to look at things. I think most discussions always kind of discuss towards the overall. But if you are someone that's good with just winning your leagues, which still wins good money, there's ways to do that. So I think that's a fun discussion as well.
0: Yeah, that was good stuff that he – when he gave those numbers, they were lower than I thought in terms of like how many more runs, how many home runs. And, I mean, you could just do like a – I don't know, like an audible plan. Go for those late closers. Like one, one way to do this, like save the easiest yeah. to punt. So like semi-punt saves, take a couple of late stabs on closers that, that that on teams that if they get the job, they'll be the guy, period. If they hit, now you're in the money for running for Go an for overall, them. maybe. Um, if they don't, then hopefully, you know, in those earlier picks, you set yourself up to win the league.
1: No, and I agree and that's one thing I, I thought it was really interesting when you mentioned those numbers they were definitely lower than I expected I was like hmm this is doable like the replacement value is very interesting but that's something that people should look into some more when you do your research and have some fun but we will wrap it up there Steve again thanks for joining me I enjoyed this chat and I uh, will have to do it again sometime
0: All Right, thanks a lot
1: everybody check them out on Twitter at Steve YMER Steve Weimer everybody this was Bench with Bubba episode 429 catch you guys later